Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hi guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Melissa, and dear old Mandy here with me tonight. Hi Mandy, how are you doing? Doing great. How about you? Doing good. Tonight we are going out of Florida. Can you believe it? We will no longer be in the state of Florida. For real this time. Yeah. No one was born in Florida that we know of. We did not go that far. We don't want to be in Florida anymore. So we are heading over to the Lone Star State, the state of Texas. Texas. Yay. So um, we're going to talk tonight about the case of Aaron Caffey, and Mandy's going to introduce a little of this to you. So Aaron Caffey, uh, this has been a case that I had a lot of fun researching because there's just a lot of information out there. Um, So just to kind of give you a background on Aaron Caffey, she is a young woman. I would say she's probably one of the younger murderers out there. Sure. Um, at least she was when she committed her crimes. Um, <clears throat> she was one of three children who was born to the parents, Terry and Penny Caffey. Um, they were a normal family. Yeah. Uh, they were very big in their church. Um, they really just had dreams of raising a well-adjusted family. As we all do. Right. And they were successful at doing so until, until. this incident happened. Yeah. <laughs> Things kind of went south for them a little bit. Um, but Erin Caffey was the first born, and she came into the world on July 27th, 1991. And in the years following her birth, Terry and Penny also produced two sons named Matthew and Tyler. So Erin's dad, Terry, 
um, actually worked delivering medical equipment to home health care patients. Um, he was also in the process of becoming a pastor. He preached a few sermons at the church where they attended on a very regular basis. Um, Penny was an accomplished seamstress, and she was a substitute driver for Meals on Wheels. Um, she sang at church as well as Aaron, and they were known... Aaron especially was known for having this beautiful singing voice. And we watched, of course, we always watch something with this stuff. We watched the, what's it called? Killer Will- Women. Killer Women with Piers Morgan. Right. We watched that. And in it, she sang in the very beginning, uh, she sang Amazing Grace, which if someone could tell me why every time they have these women murderers on TV and they're always showing off their talent, like it's America's Got Talent prison edition, and they always sing Amazing Grace. And I thought it was really, especially after you know what happened in this case, um, hearing her sing Amazing Grace was kind of chilling. Um, it was creepy. It was, like, it was beautiful, but it was, it was yeah. very, very creepy. And as the intro, it was a little... Um, a little shocking, but um, nonetheless, that's a song they always go to. The Caffies lived in a cabin set deep in the woods in an area called Alba, Texas. Actually, I think it was just outside of Alba, but that's going to be the closest town, I guess. It was right. pretty It was pretty out there. If you're going to the grocery store, you're going to Alba. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but prior to them moving to Alba, they lived in a different part of Texas called Celeste, Texas, and Erin and her siblings attended public school there. But after they moved to the cabin in the woods... Um, Erin and her siblings were pulled out of school and they were homeschooled for about a year. Um, so it was kind of like they went to public school, then they were homeschooled. And then when Erin was a freshman in high school, she was allowed to go back to public school. That's what they wanted to do. I think all the kids actually did go back to school for a, a short time. Um, it was during this period in freshman year when Erin, uh, who was then 16, met some of her best friends, um, who end up being key players in this case. Real good people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A real stand-up crowd. Yeah. Um, so their names were Charles Wilkinson, Charles Wade, and Bobby Johnson. And one thing that struck me as interesting was that these were all older teens. A lot older. Yeah. So Erin was 16, and then the her friends, her best friends, right. were 19, 20, and 18. Yeah. So... I certainly was not allowed to hang out with 20-year-olds when I was 16, especially not 20-year-old boys. Right. Um, Which I think the Caffies had a problem with. <laughs> I think they did, as we will soon find yes. out. Um, so, and the reason is because, as these things normally do, uh, when you have teenage girls and young adult boys, uh, a puppy love sort of thing kind of blossomed between Aaron and one of the boys. Uh, one of the Charles's. Right. Charles Wilkinson. And I think from, they ended up calling him Charlie. So that'll be a good distinction for us. Yeah. When we talk about Charlie versus Charles. So Terry and Penny, of course did not approve of Aaron hanging out with Charlie unattended, I guess you would say. Um, You know, no parent needs an explanation for why they didn't want them doing that. Yeah. Um, But the two teenagers somehow managed to still find a lot of time to spend together. They would hang out at the family home. Um, The Caffies had him over for dinner all the time. And uh, Terry Caffey said that he was a frequent guest at their dinner table. So that tells you... Yeah. You know, the, at least they were open to having him over, yeah. you know, with the parents, which I think is very normal. Yeah. For, they're going to have, have a relationship. Yeah. Having him at your house, you can supervise a little. A little bit. Right. Um, 
So one of the rules that um, the Caffey parents had was that Charlie had to be out of the house by 9 p.m. on the nights that he came to visit. Uh, but they did allow Erin to continue using her cell phone until around 10 p.m., uh, 11 on the weekends, which is reasonable. Yeah. Um, so she would actually continue their you know, time together on the phone after he left her house, they would, you know, stay up late talking on the phone. You remember that like puppy love early stages of a relationship where they can do no wrong and, um, you know, throwing stuff on the floor infuriates you now. But back whenever you were first dating your husband, um, it was just a cute little quirk they had something, something different. But that's whenever you were on the phone hours at night and one of those dumb you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. Where you up, just no, you literally can't get enough yeah. of each other. Just come on, guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> In the summer of 2007, Erin got her driver's license and started working at Sonic. Now, I think most people listening probably know what Sonic is, um, but in case you don't, if you're not lucky enough to have one nearby, <laughs> it is a fast food chain where they have different stalls basically for the cars to drive up to. And then you can order on the little microphone thing. And then the little girl with roller skates will come out and deliver your food and you sit in your car and eat it. And it's just kind of a fun thing to do. I always liked going to Sonic. And you feel gypped if there's not the roller skate girl that comes to your car. If somebody just walks out, somebody walks out in shoes, the whole experience is ruined, ruined, go back in, get your skates, roll around real quick and bring me my food. The thing I love about Sonic is that it's one of the only places you can go and get tater tots. True. It's on the menu. <laughs> if you're a tots fan, this is, this is our shout out to I'm, you. I'm definitely a tots fan. Um, so Charlie would go and visit Aaron at work at this job. He would um, co- go up there when she was on her 30-minute breaks, and they would kind of get there a little bit of time in, right. you know, it kind of goes back to the whole thing. They just can't get enough of each other and they will take any time they can get, including when Aaron is working, but just on a short break. She can just roll right over to his car. <laughs> um, so as things continued to progress the relationship, uh, Char- Charlie began to attend church with the Caffey family and things were going okay with that for a while. But then after some time, Charlie and Aaron would start to separate from her family and they would go off to the side and stand on their own and kind of be inappropriate for a church setting, I imagine, with holding hands. And I can only imagine like the petting and the, you know, all the (laughs) Don't use that word again. I hate that word so much. That's just the image I have in my head. (laughs) Um, So anyway, her parents found it inappropriate, but they let it slide initially. And, you know, even the fellow churchgoers, they said that it just kind of seemed like a typical puppy love. Nobody was really concerned. And he's at church, which I'm sure is a relief. And you think your kids are doing the right thing. They're at church. Right. So everyone just thought typical teenager stuff. No big deal. And up to this point, it was. It was just typical teenager, puppy love. They're just having a good time together. So, of course, they continue to see each other, and Charlie was telling all of his friends how much he was in love with Erin, how infatuated he was with her, she could do no wrong, and just seemed obsessive about her. And um, the further along this went, um, the friends noticed just it, it seemed to grow love, puppy love, but mostly obsession. And he said uh, multiple times he would do anything for her. So later in the year, uh, actually around Christmas, shortly after Christmas, rather, they took their relationship to the next level and uh, decided that they were ready to be intimate with each other. Very heavy stuff, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, for uh, 
16 year old and they really haven't been dating even that long yeah as far as i can tell they weren't even allowed to have much alone time together so yeah that's a big the logistics is a little up in the air (laughs) yeah yeah that's a little bit crazy to me um so it was shortly after that they did that that um, Charlie actually presented Aaron with a promise ring, but not just any promise ring. It was actually his grandmother's engagement ring. Sure. So after a few months, let's take that leap and right. give you something so special to my family. Right. And like he said it was a promise ring, not an actual proposal, which I don't think really justifies it. No. And also, when you see the commitment he's willing to make to her a little bit later... He couldn't call this an engagement ring. He had to say, like, <laughs> I promise I'll marry you. Probably won't. But he couldn't even say, I would. I want to marry you. Like, I don't understand that level of commitment. He, he's, he might have a few commitment issues, but. Right. Uh, so Penny, um, Aaron's mom, saw the ring on Aaron's finger at a church function a few days after it was given to her. And what do you think she did? <laughs> she flipped out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, she was not happy and neither was Terry and they actually pulled Charlie aside and told him that it was inappropriate to give Aaron the ring. And, you know, basically Terry had said, you need to take it back. And, you know, do you understand like what you're doing? Like you're promising yourself to my daughter. Like, do you understand that she's only 16? You you can't really do that. (laughs) Why haven't you graduated high school? Those kind of things. (laughs) There's a lot of questions. Yes. So the source of a lot of arguments in the Caffey home was over Charlie and Aaron's relationship. Um, Eventually, um, Terry demanded that Charlie break off his relationship with Aaron. Um, They took away Aaron's cell phone, so she wasn't able to contact him. Um, Terry later said that when she was told that she needed to break up with Charlie, that she was pretty okay with it. She was upset, but she had um, said to her parents she was kind of looking for a way to break up with him. So as far as they could tell, it was okay. They thought their family would get back to normal, and this was just like a bump in the road. So as you just said, um, you know, everybody thought that after they broke up, things would be just fine and dandy. Right. And there was a few normal days there in between. Um, Not very many. Uh, And this kind of brings us up to the heart of the matter, which is March 1st, 2008. And it was like we just said, three days after Aaron and Charlie had broken off their relationship. As far as anyone knows or thinks, they have not been in contact with each other. Um, But that night is when everybody's life would change. It was in the early morning hours of March 1st, 2008, that almost the entire Caffey family was murdered. Um, Penny, the mother, was murdered. She was shot to death. The two boys who were 13 and 8 years old at the time were also murdered that night. And Terry, they tried to get him to, but he... um, actually survived. So we're going to kind of back up a little bit now because this is where things get really interesting. Um, It came out later, of course, that Aaron was a huge part of what happened to her family. And that's where it kind of gets shocking um, because at 16 years old, she actually masterminded the murder of her entire family. And got people to participate. Exactly. She was was not alone. Um, So between the hours of 11.46 p.m. and 12.48 a.m., so that would be 
the day before March 1st, right. <laughs> February, I, you know, when do you get to February? I don't know what yeah. day, yeah. <laughs> but, um, the day before we don't March know 1st, if it's a leap year. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, between 1146 PM and 1248 AM, Aaron had been calling Charlie from inside the cafe home. She actually called six different times mm-hmm. and we found out through our research and through what's been put out there online that, um, what she was actually doing was calling to confirm that her friends and boyfriend were still coming that night to complete this heinous crime that she wanted committed. It was on her calendar. She just needed to check that off for the day. So the boys and Bobby, Charlie, Charles, and Bobby, Bobby Johnson is a female, by the way, because I know that was a little confusing for me at first when I first was reading the story. Um, She was actually the girlfriend of Charles. And they first came to the residence as planned. And the family dog, the Caffey's family dog was outside barking. So they turned around and left because anyone knows if a dog starts barking, you just leave. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and there's your first chance to get out of this. There's your first chance where you think, Maybe we should maybe we should like, change this our is a mind on that. Yeah. So the two boys, um, they tried to creep up to the house. They got spooked by the dog and they left. <clears throat> Aaron called them again several times, telling them to please come back and that she would get the dog inside and keep it quiet. Well, that's so nice. Yeah. And so again, like you said, this is another opportunity. Like even Aaron herself to say, "Oh, don't worry about it. I'll just get the dog inside, and you guys can still come back and do this." Like, yeah. We're not talking about you know having them go over there and just do something petty, like like even steal something. Right. Not that. Right. Exactly. You're talking about having these people come back so they can do you know grave danger to every member of your family. Yeah. So they did return to the cafe home. Um, and Aaron went outside and met them and got in the car with them. They all four drove to, it was down the street. I read somewhere that they actually parked in a cemetery, which Seems is just, appropriate. yeah, it's just very strange. And they of course talked about what was about to take place. And they talked for quite a while, about yeah. an hour in the car and kind of how they were going to make it look and you know, what they were going to actually do. And at any time, yeah. Any of them could have said, what are we talking about here? Right. Like, what are we, are we really going to do this? And nobody said no. no. So according to the other three um, that were there, they kept saying how much she wanted this done. It's got to be done. You have to do it. Charlie, if you love me, you'll do this for me. Because it was the only way they were going to be able to be together. Right. But that's basically what she was setting this up to be like, that they had, they were these star-crossed lovers and this is the only way they could be together. Or they could wait until she's 18 and can move out and do that, but let's just kill everybody. And it just kind of makes you wonder, like, even if this plan would have worked out and they didn't get caught, what were they even thinking that life was going to be like? Like, Were they thinking that Aaron was just going to like have no family, but she was only 16. So she doesn't have like rights as an adult. She can't go live on her own. She would surely be sent somewhere. Right. So I don't think they really thought the plan through. Also, their plan was really stupid. Right. So (laughs) they were a bunch of idiots thinking about this and they weren't thinking. I mean, they had very short term goals. We kill her family and then we can be together forever. What on earth? There's no Oh my gosh, just take one of these scenarios all the way to the finish. Like nobody ends up in Hawaii or on a private island. Exactly. Like, everybody's going to jail on this. But right. they stick around. They they're really gonna plan this terrible, terrible catastrophe. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, 
Not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. So the four of them drive back up to the cafe home, and the two girls, Aaron and Bobby, stayed in the backseat of the car while Charlie and Charles went into the house to commit the murders. Um, Aaron had left a door unlocked for easy access, yeah. so they would be able to get in without making a whole lot of noise. And, uh, of course, being that Charlie had been in the home many times, he kind of knew his way around right. anyway, so, you know, that wasn't an issue. He knew They knew right where to go. Right. They were quiet. They crept in. While the family slept, literally, right. under the cover of darkness, um, they entered this family's home and just terrible. Um, so when they came into the home, they were armed with a twenty-two caliber handgun and also two samurai swords. Oh, I will never understand this artillery they had with them. It just makes it so much worse to me. Just, I don't get the samurai swords. I don't get any of it. It's just not like a sophisticated murder, I guess. These you would guys say. were never going to be a part of Ocean's Eleven. Like they, they were, no. and not at all. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> during the police interrogation, actually, I want to talk about this for one second. Um, 
Charlie claimed that he had tried to persuade Aaron to change her mind, but she insisted on having her family yeah. killed. As even you, as her we brothers. Said. Right. Even her little brothers. Right. Because I guess they decided they didn't need any witnesses or they didn't. I don't know. Who knows why? I also Very read that she um, said they made fun of her a lot, which these mm. are just babies. I right. mean, and, eight and, and siblings, right? Yeah. Anybody who has siblings knows they can be very obnoxious. Yeah. Um, so the other Charlie, or just kidding, Charles, uh, Charles Wade, he believed that he would be given two thousand dollars if he helped um, Charlie commit these murders. Aaron said that there was $2,000 waiting for him, which he wanted because he was actually in a custody battle with his ex-wife for custody of his five-month-old daughter. And he needed $2,000, I guess, to go through the court system or go through the process so that he could obtain custody of his daughter. So this is really logical, right? Yeah. I will kill a family, get $2,000, and then just simply get custody of my daughter. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm so glad he never got custody of his daughter. My goodness. (sighs) But here's the thing. $2,000 is your grand prize, right? The best case scenario, you're getting $2,000. Worst case scenario or any other option is you go to jail for the rest of your life. So you couldn't have sold some plasma, couldn't have come up with any other plan to get this $2,000. Like, you've got to take this family out. I, The idea of accomplices makes me so mad. Like, you have nothing to gain in this. You're just along for the ride. Like, Charlie, you can see a little. He's mad at the family, whatever. Doesn't justify it at all. But these other two... Like, they're not involved in any of this. What idiots. Why would you want to be a part of this? What in your brain says, let's let's go for a joyride and go kill these people? I, I Accomplices make my brain hurt so bad. I guess in this case, I just equate it to that, like, pack mentality that you get yeah. whenever you're, you know, your, your friends are doing it. And yeah. it's kind of that, you know, everybody's doing it, so I'm going to do it. Kind of, you know, and they... Of course, Aaron made it seem like this was just no big deal. Yeah. And then when you have Charlie saying that he's willing to do it, well, then you have two people who are saying, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And so, you know, those other two, I I don't, I hope that I would not be persuaded that easily, but. Uh, Dear Lord, I hope you wouldn't either. <laughs> but listen, if you called me and told me you were going to kill somebody before you could finish your sentence, I would have this call on three-way, which I think is still a thing you can do with phones, to 911 and telling them, you need to listen, she's going to kill these people. I am the Bernie Fife of the world. I will <laughs> never let somebody get away with a crime. So yeah, that's not a, an issue. I, the accomplice thing just blows my mind. So back to <laughs> back to the story. Back to the story. Repeated. Uh, yes. So it was around two o'clock in the morning, as I said previously. Um, Terry Caffey was woken up to the sound of his bedroom door being flung open. Just kind of someone just burst in the room, right? And immediately he heard gunshots ringing out, and he knew that they were under attack. Of right. course, at this point, he does not know what's going on. He doesn't know where his children are. He doesn't know where Aaron is. All he knows is that someone is in his home shooting at them while they sleep right i just i have i gives me chills even thinking about that because that's like my worst nightmare somebody coming into my home at night while i'm sleeping and like well you're disoriented immediately and you already have like they have a leg up on you at that point you know because you have to take a while to come you know figure out what exactly is going on and this is why i just and if i haven't had caffeine at that point it's really just done it's like there's a good chance I wouldn't even wake up. I don't know. I guess like that might be the best case scenario for me in that situation. Um, So several shots were fired at Penny and Terry and apparently the gun got jammed at one point while they were shooting at the parents. And um, so Charlie 
who was the one shooting mm-hmm. initially, handed the gun over to Charles and asked him to clear the jam. And then Charlie used one of the samurai swords to stab Penny in right. the neck and nearly decapitated her. It's my goodness, just sickening. Yeah. Um, I using a gun on someone is one thing, but I feel like it's a special kind of like mental thing to like be okay with like stabbing someone yeah I don't have any like basis for saying that but I feel like <laughs> I've heard that before it's that, more like, personal I think is right what, it, like a gun is quick you can shoot it and you're not right up on you know you don't yeah. have to be right up in their yeah. business when you're doing it but to like take a sword and stab somebody with it you are it's a special kind of monster it really is um so Penny of course sadly was Killed instantly, of course. If the gunshots didn't do her in, the sword definitely did. Yeah. Um, And Terry was actually shot 11 times in total. Wow. So at this point, he blacks out, um, as I'm sure anyone would. How did he not die? 11 shots? That's... It's it's crazy. Um, I'm sure he was, like I said, he blacked out. And so the boys just assumed that they had successfully killed them both and left the room. Well, 11 shots, you'd think. Right. Um, so during all of this commotion that's going on, the two young boys that were sleeping upstairs, of course, woke up and, um, realized who was in the house. They knew who it was. They knew it was Charlie. And, you know, they were asking like, why, like, why are you doing this, Charlie? Like, don't do this. You know, why would you, um, you know, do any of that? Well, to make a very gruesome story, not as gruesome, um, the gun was turned on Matthew, the 13 year old, and he was shot to death. And Tyler, who was eight, um, was actually hiding in his closet, and the killers uh, actually went up there and stabbed him to death. Didn't shoot him at all, just took turns stabbing him to death, which I think out of everything that's wrong with this story, this is the part that bothers me absolutely the most. Like, this kid was up there hiding, terrified. His parents have already been killed. His brother was just shot. He's just trying to hide, and here comes these two monsters right opening up the door and like just for no reason at all stabbing him to death so after charles and charlie are done with the family they start going through terry's wallet for money uh, penny's purse and aaron also gave them a code to their safe which they were told there was two thousand dollars in and that's what um the money was going to go to for this wonderful custody battle of this poor poor baby um so they get all of that, and then they're also instructed by Erin to grab a few things. She needs a few things for this new life on the run. Oh, she already had a bag packed. Yeah, she's ready. You know, don't don't forget my bag. I, ugh. She's just something else. So um, they get her stuff, um, and then they actually are going to start to light the blankets and stuff on fire um, to, to create a... A blaze about the whole house. Yeah, they're trying to cover up their tracks. They, these geniuses, think that somehow this is just going to make everything fine and everybody rides off into the sunset. But um, what they didn't know is Terry Caffey had survived. So he, as they're driving away, he's pulling himself out of the house. He said that he looked over, saw Penny was basically decapitated, knew the boys were dead, and he knew he had to tell who did this to them. So with everything he could, he he goes off. Now remember, they're out in the woods, so they don't have any really close neighbors. So he had to drag himself over 300 yards through the woods, through a creek where he almost drowned. 
If can you imagine? If I get a stubbed toe, I'm ready to <laughs> lay on the ground and call it a day. Like delete my internet history. I'm done. I'm dead. But this man, whatever, is able to pull himself to will himself all the way over to a neighbor's house, which blows my mind. The only explanation I have for that is just pure adrenaline. Yeah. There's just no way. Yeah. Um. So he did make it to the neighbor's house. And I forget, it was a long time that it took him. I can't remember the exact time period. it was period. over an hour. It was over an hour that it took him to drag his entire weight after being shot this many times. And so he's bleeding profusely. He's yeah. bleeding everywhere. Um, so much so, actually, that when he got to the neighbor's house and basically just laid out on the neighbor's porch where the neighbor found him, yeah. um, the neighbor had said in the 911 call that um, he couldn't even tell you where Terry was bleeding yeah. from because I think his exact quote was like, where isn't he bleeding from? It yeah. was like he was just bleeding so much and they couldn't even – he couldn't even tell the 911 dispatcher the location of his injury. There right. was, it was just that bad. Um, so when the deputies arrived um, responding to this call, um, t- Terry actually told them right away. Yeah. He knew who did this. He said, um, they're all gone Charlie Wilkinson shot my family. Whoa. So he, just right then and there, he just said it, you know, because as he said, he didn't know if he was even going to live or die. And he right. wanted to make sure that he said who did this to his family. You know, he wanted to make sure that that person was caught. Right. So being that it's a small town, um, the deputy knew the name, right. Charlie Wilkinson. Um, they were all well known. I think his son's friend was friends with them. So they, they knew where he lived. There was, you know... No right. secrets with this. And I heard like the officer just kind of like shook his head and kind of in disbelief yeah. and was like, what? Like, there's no way, yeah. you know, that, that Charlie was involved in something like that. You right. know, there's just no possible way. He would be wrong. He would be very, very wrong. So the deputy went to go find Charlie. He um, goes to the place he knew he was staying. And um, once inside, he told him to get dressed. I guess he was in his boxers or something. Right. Because after this all went down and the four of them left, um, Aaron and Charlie went back to where Charlie was staying. And they were intimate with each other. Yeah. Which is very, very odd. Her entire family was just murdered. And they are just acting like... Woohoo! You so, know? Yeah, so all of her excuses, none of this lines up with, you know, what she would later say. Right. And then, of course, Charles and Bobby, they went their own separate way. Right. So they, were at, they went to a different place, and Aaron and Charlie went to their place. Which they could have done earlier in the night and just said, <laughs> we're not going to join you on this murder spree. Exactly. But at this point, they decide to separate. A bunch of geniuses. Um, so as the officers are getting Charlie and telling him to get dressed, they look over and see a shirt and his cowboy boots with blood on them. These people did not put any effort into <laughs> hiding it, which good, I want them to be caught. But my goodness, if you're this dumb, why are you going through and thinking you're, I guess that's why you think you're going to get away with it because you clearly don't think things through at all. Well, I guess they certainly weren't expecting the police to be knocking on the door just a few hours later yeah. because they assumed they let the house on fire. They're just scot-free. Yeah. You know, they weren't, probably weren't, in t- well, you know, planning on having the police question them. And they thought Terry was dead. So they did think that, but I mean, my goodness, you have to... If these people would watch one episode of Dateline, they would know. They're always going to look at these, like, outside members of a family and old boyfriends and stuff. And they're just not that bright to get away with this. So after the officers collected Charlie, um, they brought him to the jail. And they police obtained a search warrant to go back to his trailer and 
look Search around for evidence, of mm-hmm. course. Um, now that he's out of the picture, they figure they'll have free reign to just go rifling through all of his stuff and hopefully find some clues. Which was a catastrophe. That house was not a house. Oh my gosh, I saw the pictures. It was like hoarders mixed with typical young male that never cleans. Yeah, it was like hoarders (laughs) 2.0. It was terrible. I think a mattress was actually like on the wall that somebody was sleeping. It was the weirdest, There was stuff everywhere. Yeah. There was was no such thing as just like looking around and locating what you were looking for. If a person (laughs) with OCD walked into that room, they would immediately just die. I almost died just looking at pictures <laughs> of the place. Uh, so the police did go back with a search warrant, like I said, um, and they did find something pretty noteworthy in you know. the in the trailer. What did they find, Melissa? <laughs> so when the officer gets into, I guess, Charlie's room slash dungeon, um, they uh, are picking stuff up, moving stuff around, and the officer thinks he's come in contact with a doll. So as he goes to grab the doll's head... Um, a couple of eyes look up at him, and there sits Aaron. And so he She's says... She's hiding under, like, a pile of stuff. Well, you could do that there. <laughs> there was piles everywhere. Like, she had to have known that it would take a while for them to actually find her. But as the officer, you know, says, are you Aaron Caffey? Because they had found her driver's license. Because, again, these idiots leave stuff everywhere. Um, she said, yes. And, and she said, where am I? So here starts her defense. Right. So right off the bat, she just looks up at the officer and and acts like she doesn't have a clue where she is or how she got there. Yeah. Well, first Uh, of all, uh, she's been there before, I'm sure. And so this dungeon OCD nightmare, she's been there. So I don't don't quite get any of this. So, well, I don't either. But she (laughs) she concocted a story about how... uh, she was must have been drugged yes, because definitely she drugged. has absolutely no memory of the night before. Convenient. Yeah. So somebody allegedly kidnapped her, drugged her, must have murdered her family, but for some reason spared her. Yeah. Don't it, it doesn't make any sense. And you ended up in your boyfriend's house. <laughs> right. But that's the story she's sticking with. So that's the story we're reporting on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they actually the officers do a toxicology test on her to see what drugs are in her system. They also smell her clothing to see if, you know, she's being pulled out of this fiery trailer if her clothes smell like smoke. And they do not. So it really didn't take the police very long to get everyone in custody that was involved. Um, They found them all very quickly. Before 10 a.m. the next morning, actually really the same day, technically. um, So they went to sleep and woke up being arrested. Exactly. Really worth it. Right. So that did not go as planned, I guess, (laughs) for them. Yeah. Um, So the police did um, also take Charles, Wade, and Bobby Johnson into custody. And um, immediately Charles said that this was all Aaron's idea. Right. He was promised $2,000. Um, you know, he had no problem at all saying who was behind yeah. this, which, of course, good for you at that point, I guess. I'm always happy when people <laughs> confess. You're right. saving You've a lot already of time. committed murder, so I guess at this point you might as well tell the real truth but about if, what happened. If you're going to commit murder, wouldn't you, like, decide pretty quickly, like, no matter what, I'm not going to say anything? They're always, like, the officer asks them two questions. They're like, oh, yeah, by the way. Killed a bunch of people last night. Right. Guess I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life. But of course, these are like scared kids, you know? And of course, just having the police ask you about it, I can just imagine, like, he was probably like, oh, crap. But again, no one thought they could ever get to this point. Right. So they probably didn't really have a plan for what to do. Oh, they didn't. What to do if the police came knocking on the door. But Erin came up with a plan for herself. Right. 
She sure did. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, So the three accomplices, though, all had the same story. They all said, Aaron's behind this. Yeah. She convinced us all to do it. We tried to say no. She said yes. So Terry is at the hospital, and Aaron is being treated like a grieving child, that she's, you know, been through all this. She's been drugged, and her whole family is dead. And so the officers really feel kind of bad for her and they are going to escort her to the hospital to go see her dad and she's also at this point um penny's mom is with her her grandma so as the officers are driving her to the hospital they get a call that the toxicology report is in there were no drugs in her system the other three have said that she's involved and they need to arrest her so they actually pull over and arrest her Um, And the grandma is, of course, crying, freaking out, saying, did you do this? Did you do this? And she's saying, no, she didn't. So as they're getting ready to go to trial, um, the prosecutor is actually seeking the death penalty. Um, Lisa Tanner was the prosecutor, and she said, um, quote, this was not the most brutal or cold-blooded case I have ever prosecuted. But when you look at all the different factors and put them together, how young and seemingly normal the perpetrators were, how ruthless they were, how stupid they were, how cavalier they were, how utterly undeserving this family was, it was, without a question, the most disturbing case I'd ever dealt with. And I would agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, So the prosecution is seeking the death penalty um, for Charlie and Charles. Um, the other two, Aaron and Bobby, were going to be tried as accomplices, and Aaron a little bit more. Um, but the district attorney spoke to Terry, and Terry wrote um, a letter saying that he wants them in this lifetime to have a chance for remorse and to come to a place of repentance for what they have done. Killing them will not bring my family back. So if you ever needed a lesson in forgiveness, may we all reach out to Terry. <laughs> if anyone you know, would nobody would think twice if he really did not choose to forgive them with all that he had been through. But he said that he chose to forgive because it would only help him. It wouldn't necessarily help the others, but it would help him to heal. So he did. He um, forgave them. And I, I, I don't even know. I can't even imagine Terry, like you said, um, you know, he did say that he thought there was enough deaths already. And yeah. Just, wow. Um, this is after his entire life has turned upside down. Yeah, you know? and his daughter is a part of and it. And then you find out that your daughter... And that was another thing. Um, when they had brought Terry to the hospital, of course, you know, we kind of right. stopped talking about him after we started picking up on yeah. what had happened. Um, but when they brought him to the hospital and he was getting all checked over, um, you know, the detectives had come in and they wanted to speak with him and let him know kind of where they were at with investigating and everything. And um, he asked them about Aaron. How was Aaron? And they said, well, she's fine. Yeah. And he kind of meekly said, um, you know, and what was her, like, what was her involvement? And there was kind of a pause. And then the officer said uh, her involvement was great. Yeah. And then you can just hear Terry, like, break down. And, like, Mm -hmm. I just can't even imagine, like, getting some news like that. Not only is your wife, your two sons are killed, and then you find out, like your daughter is behind all of this. And she wanted to kill you too. Right. And for what? Because she liked some boy like that she just couldn't be away from and, you know, just couldn't get over it, you know, just very, very crazy, very sad. Um, but very, 
I guess, inspiring that he yeah. was able to even find forgiveness for any of them, mm-hmm. um, including his daughter. He Who he still regularly sees. He does. He still visits her in prison. Yeah. And he doesn't, he said that he doesn't really question her. He doesn't really need to know all the answers and she'll tell him in time. But really, if you watch any, any videos, any interviews with her, she does not own up to her responsibility in this at all. She continues to say, it was their idea. I never wanted any of this. I, Charlie would talk about this and I, I thought it was a game. I thought he was joking. Um, But during her trial, they actually talked to an ex-boyfriend who said, she actually wanted me to kill her parents. Why did he not go to the police? <laughs> I always have issues with this when people are told, hey, somebody wanted somebody dead. Go tell somebody, please. If you know something, say something. I mean, it's so easy to say that in hindsight, but, you know, you know me and my crazy sense of humor. How many times have I said something off the wall? Like, you know, basically said just... what, Mandy? <laughs> say, it, say it on record. I'm not saying it on record. <laughs> but how many times have we joked yeah. and like, you know, or, and, or not just us, but you know, people joke around and say stupid yeah. things like, oh, I'm going to kill that person. Or, you know, if they don't stop doing this, I swear I'm going to kill them or whatever. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Mandy goes around threatening people's lives. All I've the called time. the police. <laughs> so... Uh, one thing that was really interesting about Terry, I know we just got done talking about how he was so forgiving right. and, um, you know, just found it in him to be able to do that. Um, but one other thing that he did that is worth mentioning is that he actually bought an RV and went back to live on the property where Why? <laughs> where the murders took place. Yeah. I don't know. I guess he owned the property, yeah. so he had a right to. But <laughs> own the property. Well, I he did say that you know he that was his his home and that was where they had so many good memories and he wasn't going to let that last memory ruin it for him. But I would be okay with just saying, "Peace out, take my I'm property." I'm going to start new somewhere yeah. else and forget about all of this. Yeah, I'm Obviously going to Hawaii. Can, but. Yeah, but at least that would be a constant reminder. But he said he slept every night with a loaded gun on his chest, which. That's not good gun safety. That's terrible (laughs) gun safety. But you kind of understand how traumatizing this whole thing has been. How do you ever recover with all the therapy, with all everything that's available to you to truly recover from this? I don't think you can never be the same. Fortunately, though, Terry actually um, did kind of bounce back from this as much as a person possibly can. Right. Uh, he no longer lives in the RV on the property. Thank God. Yes. Oh my gosh. He now has a brick house in Wills Point, which is 30 miles southwest of Alba. And it's just down the road from the cemetery where Penny and the boys are buried. Um, I'm sure he goes there and visits that site a lot. Um, but he did go on to find love again, not yeah. just once, but twice. He married he once after this happened and that marriage did not work out, which is understandable. Yeah. That's a lot to bring into a new relationship. Yeah. So. But he's since remarried again and they have a son together. So it's, I was glad to hear that he has this new little person in his life and that hopefully he can find um, more joy and happiness with his new family. So I'm sure everyone is wondering what kind of punishments came down for Erin and her three accomplices, and they all did get some pretty heavy sentences. Uh, All four of them uh, pled guilty to the crimes that they were accused of, which always makes things a lot easier when they just come out and say, like, yes, I did it. Yeah. Um, And they they did get some plea deals in there. So Erin, for her role, she was actually sentenced to two 
life sentences to be served concurrently. Right. Which, with your second life that right. you're just given. <laughs> right. Uh, plus an additional 25 years. So if those two life terms weren't enough, 25 more years, you should be good after that. Unless she's a cat. I really don't see how right. this is going to work out. Um, but somehow, I don't understand how, she is still going to be eligible for parole when she is 59 years old. How? I don't get it. Two life sentences plus 25 years, it doesn't add up to me how she could ever be eligible for parole. Maybe 59 years on her third life that she would be eligible for right. parole. The only shining light in this is that she's too old to have children. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> so Charlie Wilkinson and Charles Wade, uh, they pled guilty, like I said, and they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So that's good. They were yeah. the ones who actually committed went the, through with it yeah. so i think that's fair for them well deserved right and bobby johnson uh pled guilty to being an accomplice who did not use a weapon and she was sentenced to 40 years and she might be eligible for parole in 20 so bobby johnson should be like a psa to me of why you should watch who your friends are because you could end up in the backseat of a car while people are committing murder and you're going to go to jail right along with them Right, and she technically did not do anything other than not stop it. Yeah, she didn't stop it. So not stopping a murder is also a crime, in case anyone didn't know. (laughs) So although pleading guilty, Erin continues to um, profess her innocence to the crimes, Um, she actually told another version of her story to Israel Lewis, who was the mental health counselor um, that was hired to evaluate her. Um, When she spoke to him, she insisted that Charlie had this huge temper Um, And that he killed her family after she broke up with him. And then he tried to frame her. No one in this group is smart enough to frame someone. Just let that be on the record. Um, And Lewis actually said that he said, quote, I have worked with some good liars, but Aaron was one of the best. Um, He said that he actually believed her story. Like everything she was saying made sense to him. And whenever he actually was in was learning more details of the criminal investigation, he realized that she had been manipulating him. Um, He continued to visit her, but he said what disturbed him most was that he could not really explain why she wanted this done. When asked about her family, you know, if they were bad parents or anything, she would always say they were the best parents you could have. So what was going on in her mind um, for this to happen? But lots of people really seemed to feel duped by Aaron and, said that she was one of the most dangerous people. She's like four foot 11, a little tiny thing. But, you know, behind her words and her manipulation, she became really, really powerful and evil. Her own therapist actually said, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but said that she was uh, the most dangerous person that um, she had ever met and hoped that she would never cross anybody like Aaron ever again. Yeah. And just to continue giving examples of Aaron being a dangerous and crazy person. Um, Bobby Johnson actually recalled how they, she had tried to convince Aaron to change her mind and maybe just run away instead, right. which, Hey, that would be totally reasonable. Let's just, she would not get caught doing that too, but nobody would be in prison. Exactly. Um, but of course, Aaron insisted, no, this is what, this is the way it has to be. This is how it has to go down. Uh, Charlie had said in later interviews, of course, everybody's been interviewed a billion times since this all took place because, right. 
of course, everybody wants to interview. Yeah, it's people. a fascinating case. Right. Um, you know, and Charlie has said that he kept also trying to persuade her, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And Aaron kept coming back with, why are you asking me that? Like, if you love me, you'll just do it. You won't even ask me any questions. Right. And uh, all of the accomplices, you know, they had said that Aaron was dead set on it. It was her idea to go through with killing her brothers. And, um, you know, they said when they left the house, she was extremely happy. One of them said that she was happier than a kid on Christmas morning when they were pulling away from the house. So disgusting that there's no remorse ever. (laughs) I mean, she still doesn't have remorse really because she won't even acknowledge her part in this entire crime. Right. So it's been years now and, um, you know, the people who have interviewed them separately have asked Aaron and Charlie both how they feel about each other now. Right. Still. And they pretty much both say that they still love each other. It was, oh, <laughs> that was so And of so course hard. they haven't talked right. since they this can't. happened. Like they've to. never spoken to each other. Yeah. But, um, Charlie had said, you know, once you love somebody, you can't just stop. You're always going to. Well, once you've killed their family and your life is over, you could you could pull the brakes on that a little bit. I think you could. I think that is valid reason to yeah. stop loving someone. Yeah. If you're ever going to stop loving someone, this would be the scenario to stop loving someone. So, But she kind of was the same. She just kind of said, I don't really know how I feel and I kind of forgive him. And, but still, she still basically said she loved him. You're never going to be back together. Like... Listen to a Taylor Swift song. It's never, ever, ever going to happen. It's over, guys. (laughs) So Terry Caffey wrote a book on this entire ordeal, uh, which is probably very therapeutic for him. But the title of the book is Terror by Night, the True Story of the Brutal Texas Murder that Destroyed a Family, Restored One Man's Faith, and Shocked a Nation. It's a long book title. Yeah, I read it. (laughs) The rest of the story goes much better than this title. But it's actually a really good read and something, if you're interested in this case, it's worth reading about. And also, he talks a lot about forgiveness, as we've said. So it was, I really found it to be a fascinating book. So guys, that is the story of Aaron Caffey, kind of a sinister story. Yeah, a real bummer. There's not really a lot of happiness in this story. Um, but we wanted to quickly go over our our hashtag, I'm Invincible When. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I actually have one for you guys tonight. Oh. And I told Mandy I was going to be sharing this with her. I did not share her share this with her before because I knew she would laugh at me in my face. But I'm Invincible When I Open the Shower Curtain. <laughs> but <laughs> you have to hear me out. So when I was little, I saw a commercial or something for Chucky that child's play is it child's play the creepy little oh like the horror thing? movie yeah, yeah, yeah. killer doll yeah so I was never allowed to watch that and I hate horror stuff I like true crime hate horror um so I saw a commercial and he popped out of the shower curtain Ugh. so <laughs> for the rest of my life every time I go in the bathroom I have to open the shower curtain and I actually feel much safer making sure nobody's in there or a small freaky child doll. Um, but one time my family being truly loving and supporting knew I did this and they got irritated. I guess my mom must have been irritated. I see where this is going. Yeah. Love you, mom. (laughs) Um, then I would leave it open. And so as I went into the bathroom, I opened it and everybody jumped out, which I think is like immersive therapy. And I think that's like a terrible thing to do. So did it work? (laughs) I still to this day do it. If I go to your house, I'm sorry, I'm opening up the shower curtain, (laughs) checking what's in there and I'm closing it. Please do not pull back the shower curtain when you come to my house. Mandy, I've done it every time I've been there. 
I'm so sorry to break that to you here now, but um, I don't judge anybody because nobody thinks somebody's looking into their shower curtain. I don't go through medicine cabinets, but I will look in your shower <laughs> to make sure no child doll is there to murder me. You know, it's actually funny that that was your thing because I do the same thing with shower curtains, really? but not because of Chucky. It's actually because of the movie, The Shining. Oh. <laughs> because you remember the scene? The creepy, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's kind of a weird scene, yeah. but I always got creeped out by the shower thing as well uh, because of that movie. But it kind of goes hand in hand too. I do the same thing with like closet doors. I have to have closet doors shut. Since I was a little kid, I can't sleep if the closet door is gaping open because you just never know what's going to come out of there. So at night. you're invincible <laughs> when the closet doors are open. Exactly. Closing your house. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, guys, that's, uh, that's my I'm invincible when. And now you have a little insight into my brain and why I am basically not very well balanced. Um, but, uh, we wanted to talk to you guys quickly, um, and let you know, um, next week's show we've actually promoted on our Facebook and Instagram. So if you haven't become Facebook friends with us or liked our page or, um, became friends with us on Instagram, you haven't seen what we have in store for you, but we actually put up a poll. You guys voted and we listened and uh next week is a very special episode but you have to go to our facebook and instagram to see what it is um and we're going to leave you tonight with a promo from some of our friends down under they are just another murder podcast and we'll let them introduce themselves um hope you guys have a good night bye-bye hey this is sarah sam and casey from just another murder podcast we are three Aussie ladies chatting about murder and making funny jokes. Oh, more no, like bad more jokes. Inappropriate <laughs> jokes. Sorry. Go listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook. Okay. Bye. Catch See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.